Well, thank you all very much for your thoughts and comments this morning. Very interesting discussion. You heard there Barry Wood, our international economics correspondent over in Washington, D.C., Peter Churchhouse, the founder of Portwood Capital, and Stuart Allcroft, the chairman of City Trust. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In the markets this morning... Not much movement down in Australia, where the ASX 200 is almost flat. The Nikkei 225, though, in Japan is down about 0.8%. Uh, the Cosby is flat, but it looks like the Hang Seng is going to open uh, about 100 points lower in an hour's time. Gold, which we've just been talking about there, is trading right now a little bit firmer here in Asia, $1,964 an ounce. Uh, Brink crude oil also a touch firmer as well at $43.52 a barrel. And the US dollar is trading at 105 against the Japanese yen. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk and stay tuned uh, for back chat after the news with Hugh Chiverton and Anna Fenton. The weather forecast, mainly fine apart from one or two showers. Very hot during the day. The very hot temperature warning is in force. Maximum temperature is going to be about 34 degrees. And the outlook is for a few showers tomorrow and those showers will increase uh, to thunderstorms in the following couple of days and it's going to get windier. 30 degrees right now and it's 75% relative humidity. 8.31, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. The European Union says it'll limit exports of equipment that could be used for surveillance and repression in response to the new national security law here. It said the new law would severely erode freedoms in Hong Kong that were supposed to be protected under the terms of the 1997 handover. Hong Kong said yesterday it had informed Britain, Canada and Australia that it was suspending mutual legal assistance agreements in criminal matters after they suspended extradition treaties with the SAR. The United States and Australia say they're expanding military cooperation. After two days of talks in Washington, Australia's foreign and defence ministers offered clear support for a hawkish shift on China by the Trump administration. Foreign Minister Wang Yi accused Washington of provocation. Democrats in the U.S. Senate have published a report highly critical of the way Mike Pompeo has run the State Department. Here's the BBC's Barbara Plettusher. The report finds that many of the issues which disrupted the State Department after the election of Donald Trump have persisted well into his first term. It says the agency has been weakened by continued vacancies at senior levels, disrespect for the work of career employees, and a loss of expertise. And it accuses Mike Pompeo of failing to defend his own staff from attacks by political appointees. The Secretary of State has pushed back strongly against such complaints, arguing that Democrats have blocked many of the administration's nominees for political reasons. Reasons. The State Department's swagger is fully back, said a spokesperson, using one of Mr. Pompeo's favorite phrases. The American technology company Kodak has signed a deal with the U.S. government to develop ingredients for pharmaceuticals. The Trump administration is providing the Eastman Kodak company with a $765 million U.S. dollar loan. President Trump said it would boost the ability of the United States to produce its own generic drugs. Kodak will now produce generic active pharmaceutical ingredients, which is a big deal. Using advanced manufacturing techniques, Kodak will also make the key starting materials that are the building blocks for many drugs in a manner that is both cost competitive and environmentally safe. Uh, will be competitive with almost all countries and soon with all countries. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chewis and your co-host today is Anna Fenton. Anna, good morning to you. Good morning, everybody. 
two topics today. First, thoughts on the decision to sack Benny Tai. And after nine, should the LegCo election go ahead? University of Hong Kong's Governing Council yesterday voted to sack Associate Law Professor Benny Tai for misconduct over his criminal convictions related to the 2014 Occupy movement. Tai said the decision to terminate my appointment was made not by the University of Hong Kong but by an authority beyond the university through its agents. Was he setting a bad example to young people and openly flouting the law or is he a champion of democracy and civil rights? It's widely reported that the CE will make the call on the LegCo election on Friday. What are the factors she will be weighing up? Is the decision hers to make? Anyway, let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or you can give us a call, and our number is 233-88266, 233-88266. Joining us uh, for our first discussion, we'll be talking in a moment to uh, Chris Young, a political analyst and chief writer of the Citizen News, and uh, Associate Professor in the City University. University uh, School of Law, uh, Surya Diva. Uh, just a few uh, emails first uh, to air relating to our discussion yesterday on returning officers. Lucy says the CE and the Secretary for Home Affairs are appointed by the CPG. The CE appoints the Electoral Commission. The Secretary for Home Affairs appoints all returning officers. Returning officers are always selected DOs or AOs, i.e. all AOs are selected by the CPG. Uh, Anthony says, uh, how much news is too much? We'll soon be reaching the speed of light. I look forward to sharing my lunch with those monkeys and cows in the country park. Seriously, that's a brilliant idea. What are your plans for lunch this afternoon? It's going to be chaotic in a few hours' time. And Andrew Kay says, on Benny Tai, it seems like his past is catching up with him. Long overdue. Should be in jail. And uh, uh, Andrew Kay also says, the speaker said Benny Tai's dismissal is the end of academic freedom in Hong Kong. If his bad behaviour over the last five years is academic freedom, then I'm happy to see it go. Chris Young, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. I, I guess it's not really very much of a surprise, this happening to Benny Tai at this point. Uh, yes, exactly. Uh, but first, I think an uh, issue, of course, uh, is the job of uh, Benny Tai. But the, uh, the, the bigger issue really is um, the independence of a university and, and secondly, uh, the kind of freedoms and uh, including, of course, the academic freedom uh, in the university, uh, which uh, should be the focus of the discussion um, among um, the Senate, uh, among the governing council. Uh, but um, uh, unfortunately, um, uh, we, we can see clearly uh, the enormity of political pressure uh, on uh, Hong Kong U uh, in the case of uh, Benny Tai. Um, one interesting uh, um, development, of course, is that almost immediately after um, the decision was um, uh, made public, um, it is the central government's liaison office. Uh, who issue a pretty strongly worded statement on uh, basically praising um, the council for making the decision, uh, then listing a list, a long list of say uh, political, I would say, uh, accusations uh, against um, against Benny Tai, and um, not surprising for obvious reasons uh, because Benny Tai is now almost uh, being say um, labeled as. Uh, one of the black hands, uh, if not the black hand uh, behind the so-called color revolution in Hong Kong um, um, uh, and envelope since the uh, umbrella say, uh, movement back in 2014 and then 
since then, the latest of uh, the latest, of course, is the latest uh, crimes. Of course, uh, is the is the so-called 35 plus um, uh, the primaries uh, that was held a couple of weeks ago, and uh, Benny Tai uh, is being seen as the mastermind of this uh, primaries, uh, which uh, again was uh, seriously criticized uh, by. The Chinese, by the Chinese government, and uh, for say, um, I think um, almost say breaching the um, the national na- national security law. So, uh, so not not, a, not surprising the, the kind of pressure on universities council uh, to sack um, to sack Benny Tai. But as I said earlier, it's the universities' independence and um, and protection of. Uh, not just the universities, but but the Hong Kong's uh, uh, core values that are far more important than the job of uh, any time. Uh, that means procedural justice. Uh, that means uh, whether, say, the um, the penalty is justified. For instance, uh, the Senate uh, decision is that it's misconduct, uh, but um, it, it, it does not warrant, say. Um, uh, the second uh, of him, but now the council is basically uh, giving him a death penalty uh, for uh, misconduct. Uh, not to mention the fact that uh, the conviction is still subject to an appeal uh, in our judicial system. So uh, it's just so obvious it's a politically uh, motivated, say, um, decision. And, um, and 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 in that sense, um, the kind of pressure on um, university to get rid of uh, Benny Tai, yes, uh, uh, I think it's, it's not surprising. Chris, if we could just um, rewind a bit, it, I always think with history it's important to be clear. How would you describe Benny's role in the Umbrella Movement right from the start? It always struck me that he wasn't the one that lit the blue touch paper. It was almost like it was his idea and then the students ran with it. Is that is that how you see it? Is that how history will see it? Uh, uh, yes. Uh, well, um, of course uh, now that, that the case is still subject to uh, an appeal. But uh, I think we can all see, uh, look look back uh, from the facts. Uh, yes, I think Benny Tai wrote an article in a Chinese newspaper about civil disobedience, about this occupied central. Uh, but that, of course, uh, ultimately is not central. <laughs> it, it happened in that routine. And then uh, it was sparked by, not by the, the trio, occupied trio, uh, but by students. Uh, um, so the, 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 the occupation, um, well, went on not as planned. And, uh, so the role of Benny, uh, in fact, is, um, is arguable, I mean. Uh, but then, of course, uh, now, uh, not just the Occupy Trio, but some other legislators, for instance, uh, have been, uh, charged and convicted of, uh, crimes like public nuisance, public nuisance charges. And uh, so that's, uh, yes, uh, as, as I say, it's, it's, it's questionable and debatable. But then, of course, uh, uh, some of the cases now uh, have been uh, completed, I would say, in court. And um, so um, now it's, um, in a sense, um, it's academic to d- discuss that. But to be fair to uh, Benny, really, we have to 
uh, really looking clearly at what exactly uh, he had done, what exactly he had done, or whether he's been uh, victimized as the uh, black hand of a so-called color revolution uh, that was, I would say, um, Imagine, imagine, and imagine one. I, I, I mean, that, I guess, the, I guess one. the, but the, you know, the decision was made by the courts after a very long period of time. He's been working at the University of Hong Kong for you know six years since since those events. Uh, he was you know tried and given opportunity to represent himself, not just at the at the, uh, at the hearing uh, yesterday and in those those you know cases of the Senate, uh, but in court, and he was found guilty and he was given a substantial sentence. Uh, uh, and, and anyway, the whole point of his, you know, uh, civil disobedience was that you uh, you do it publicly, and you you take the consequences. And if the consequences are breaking the law and going to jail, uh, then you have to do that. And surely, all Benny Tai is doing now is living with the consequences of his decision and his actions. Uh, yeah, yes, exactly. I think yes, uh, we 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 have to uh, respect the decision of the law, uh, sorry, of, of, of the court. Yes, he's been convicted, so he's, he's now seeking an, an, an appeal. Uh, so number one, uh, whether that whole purpose uh, has been completed, and, and I think the answer is no. And, and, and secondly, um, um, we have to look into carefully on whether exactly uh, what the university has said about, or in, 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 in black and white, about the, whether uh, a conviction like this uh, is say automatically uh, a say a a, 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 a a justifiable reason for uh, for the dismissal. Uh, of course, uh, if we see clear in black and white, that anyone who uh, well, not those in electrical, uh, if, if if they are convicted of crimes with say like penalty of um, uh, sentencing up to certain certain months, then. Uh, he, uh, that's the reason for his dismissal. Then I think it's clear. But, but it's, well, clearly it's not the case in university. Why? Uh, uh, because, because I think, uh, university, yes, number one, um, autonomy. And secondly, and secondly, uh, they have, uh, their own, say, criteria or, or, or certain things they, they, they see, uh, are more important. Academic freedom. I think freedom for, um, say, um, uh, the academia to say uh, pursue, say, um, research and uh, and make their views. Uh, well, uh, however political sensitive they are. Okay. Well, we we have an academic now uh, with us, uh, as I said, uh, Suya Diva, associate professor in the School of Law at City University. Uh, professor Diva, good morning to you, and thank thanks for joining good us. Uh, so you're in a kind of um, similar or analogous position, I guess, mm -hmm. associate professor of law. You're involved in uh, human rights advocacy through through various UN bodies and uh, and so on. Uh, what are your thoughts? What's your reaction to this uh, decision to sack Benny Tai? I mean, there are serious implications because uh, Benitai has uh, dared to speak truth to power. Uh, he has uh, basically irritated Beijing authorities for several years. And uh, his uh, publications in newspapers, the idea of whether it was about Occupy Central or the more recent idea of 35 Plus, which uh, Chris mentioned, 
these ideas are not really um, in line with what Beijing would like academics in Hong Kong to do. And I think because of this, uh, it has resulted in this conflict and I think his ultimate dismissal. Of course, uh, uh, academics have to respect law as well. And if we commit any criminal activity, then we have to face consequences. So we are not above the law. So I think no one is uh, going to take this position, in my view. But I think we have to understand that this uh, public nuisance conviction was not a typical criminal activity because Benitai was trying to defend certain core values and legitimate constitutional goals under the basic law. And uh, those ideas were proposed because there are other avenues to engage the Hong Kong government or the Chinese authorities were not really resulting in constructive progress in terms of democracy in Hong Kong, which was guaranteed uh, under the basic law and is still guaranteed. So I think we have to see it in the broad context in this particular way. Uh, in terms of implications, I think it will have serious implications. Uh, I will mention three. First of all, it will have a chilling effect on academic freedom, not just at Hong Kong U, but all uh, Hong Kong uh, publicly funded universities and private institutions, I think. Uh, I think scholars going forward would either self-censor themselves, some of them, or they might decide to leave Hong Kong or uh, they might face consequences similar to Benitai. That, that is the first clear implication I, I can foresee here. The second is that uh, it really sends a signal to uh, visiting scholars and exchange students who come to Hong Kong every year that if you may have political opinion which are not in line with Beijing, then perhaps you should not be visiting Hong Kong and in view of especially the national security law. So I think that is going to be a second clear implication. So this is going to definitely isolate Hong Kong academic institutions that the visits of critical voices to Hong Kong may be limited in future because there will be a certain risk. The third implication, which is a broader implication in my view, is that this is another evidence of Hong Kong uh, moving in the direction of rule by law, the, the, the mainland Chinese system, where legal measures and law will be used to target anyone, whether you are a judge, you are a lawyer, you are a doctor, you are a journalist or an academic, does not matter. Anyone you are, if you are taking a position or do anything which is considered not acceptable by Beijing authorities, uh, by their subjective standards, then you will be facing consequences. But it will be done as per the law. And I think that is uh, going to be highly problematic going forward because there's a clear distinction between rule of law and rule by law, and I see this uh, evolution in Hong Kong uh, towards rule by law, slowly but surely. To your point about visiting uh, professors and, and speakers um, on legal subjects coming in, are you aware of, of um, you know, any invitations being turned down or, or because of COVID are no invitations going out? I mean, I'm not aware of uh, invitations yet, but I can foresee this uh, in particular uh, of the national security law because there are some internal discussion already that certain conferences and activities, how they should be organized now in, in view of the national security law because uh, in the past, those activities were openly done and people were invited from outside. 
But I think now, because the national security law applies to anyone anywhere in the world, so if, let us say, a visiting professor comes to Hong Kong to participate in a conference and he or she uh, makes a statement which is critical of the Chinese position on human rights or anything, then potentially that person could, could breach national security law and could, could be arrested here. So I suspect going forward these scholars who have written extensively critically about China they may wish to participate in these activities either remotely or they may not even participate. Uh, is there any procedural uh, miscarriage of justice, though? Have they just stuck by the rules, uh, the rules of the contract that uh, Benny Tai has agreed to in taking this job? I mean, um, of course, uh, the, the, the university followed the process, I understand, and uh, there was a committee which investigated it. But for, for me, the real issue is the, the role of the Senate versus the Council. If you look at the ordinance of Hong Kong University, Senate uh, primarily comprised of uh, people who are part of the academic institution, like Hong Kong U, you know. So they know, they know what academics should do and, and what will amount to misconduct and what is serious enough to to invite dismissal. On the other hand, council uh, com comprise of a uh, lot of uh, outsider institutions. Uh, I mean, a lot of individuals from outside. And um, my uh, guess is that some of these people that have been appointed by the, by the chancellor of the university, which happens to be the chief executive, are pro-establishment, and they may not have any independent position or uh, independent viewpoint, and I, I think that that is my worry. Can people think independently? Can these people who are part of the Council of Hong Kong U or other universities as such, do they have an independent mind to think objectively, or are they likely to always follow the Beijing line? And I think uh, Chris already mentioned that uh, after this decision by the Council, there was immediately this statement issued by the liaison office. So. So, so there, if we connect these dots, it is very clear that something else is behind this dismissal and the decision of the council. But, but Chris Young, you know, arguably, for the good of the university, they had to make this decision, because if they didn't, it would be seen as a very defiant stance, wouldn't it? And the, there could be a uh, lot of consequences for, the, for, for Hong yeah. Kong U. They could uh, follow in the footsteps yeah. of Cathay or something like that. Well, uh, we'll be seen by who? Uh, uh, by, by Beijing. Beijing, by Beijing, but then uh, uh, who should uh, care more about Hong Kong U and uh, perhaps uh, even other um, universities? I think Hong Kong people, um, I think universities are so important uh, in any society that in, in, in Hong Kong, uh, they say they are, um, I think they, 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 they are the, uh, the, the, the kind of um, Safeguards of our the institutions, our values. Um, They're also freedom. the source of a lot of trouble. A, a lot of a lot of problems in Hong Kong surely has stemmed from the from the universities in recent years. Well, uh, uh, more I would say uh, because of the uh, in, in increasing say political interference. Um, Hong Kong U is not um, the only case that uh, we see uh, through. Um, through the appointment, say, uh, power, say, by the, by, by the CE, uh, I think basically of all the uh, eight universities, I think all, almost all now basically are, are under, in a sense, under control um, by the pro-government uh, 
pro-government appointees. And um, so that's, I would say that trend began, say, during the CY Leung's five years. So in the past 10, five, well, well uh, almost 10 years, uh, universities here are, are losing their independence. Uh, one interesting observation to me is that um, um, but, uh, when the NSL, say national security law, was out, uh, if you look carefully how the universities react, uh, basically almost all councils of the eight universities supported, and uh, only a, perhaps a one or two have expressed a kind of a worries. The strongest, the strongest uh, 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 criticisms, or in a sense criticism, came from Su Yan University, a privately run university. Why? I think just so obvious. They have the f less control by the by the government. They feel freer, say, uh, to speak their minds, uh, to put more emphasis on, say, academic uh, freedom. I, I think that says a lot about our the state of our universities um, in, in in Hong Kong. Professor um, D Professor Diva, could I could I just put it to you? I mean, academic freedom is one thing. Uh, the freedom to to research, even to write. Uh, and uh, and talk and take part in discussions and so on about academic subjects. But to stand up on public platforms and say, you know, break the law en masse or paralyse the government and uh, take part in public affairs in that way, that's nothing to do with academic freedom. That's, that's troublemaking and that's what um, Benny Tai is doing and that's uh, what he's got to live with now. I think I will I'll make two points. First, I would like to react to your first earlier point to Chris that the university is a source of trouble. I would say this is a reaction from university academics and students. The source of trouble potentially is the chief executive, the LegCo, and the Beijing authorities. And the universities are merely reacting to this governance crisis on the part of these institutions who should be governing Hong Kong as per one country, two systems. So that is my first point. Now, of course, uh, there are different academics and they take different positions. So some may just prefer to write and do research and don't even write in newspapers. Some do write opinion-based pieces in newspapers. And some academics take also more activist positions. They work with civil society organizations. They work with UN bodies. They work with businesses, you know. So I think we cannot put all academics in the same basket. They have a very dynamic role to play. And internationally, this is not unique to Hong Kong. Uh, academics take activist positions in certain matters. And I think the real issue here is that he was not trying to do anything to benefit himself. He was trying to basically uh, get the basic law guarantees implemented. And he was forced, Benny Pai was forced to articulate these ideas, which uh, uh, later on led to this Occupy Central and more recently this uh, primaries of 35 plus. And, of course, uh, these ideas are not in line with the Beijing authorities, and that's where the real conflict is. But you cannot say that uh, what he did was really something, uh, a criminal activity in the typical sense of completely what an academic should not be doing. All right, comment on our Facebook page from Tom, who says, I understand it's a bit unfair for Benny Tai, but as you can see in the U.S., if a U.S. law professor was leading the Seattle Chazop occupation or something similar, of course he would lose his job. 
Uh, also, Backchat mentioned yesterday a nation cannot allow its legislators to be openly campaigning in foreign countries to sanction their own country. Imagine if US senators were flying to Moscow and lobbying for sanctions and Russian intervention. They would be jailed for decades with a cover story of an error in their tax return or a decades-old Me Too charge, and everyone would just be okay with it. China and Hong Kong are just clumsier with PR or else more honest. Uh, Tom also says people need to play by the rules. Isn't that the meaning of rule by law? And uh, one comment uh, on uh, linking our two uh, subjects today. Matthew says several times over the past couple of weeks on Backchat, I've asked what's happening at Hong Kong U in relation to the whistleblower Yan Li Meng and the departure of three of their top eight uh, of the top eight microbiologists. The dismissal of Benny Tai and his statement regarding the end of academic freedom may provide some hints. And he has a link to the Facebook post, uh, which you can also see on our, on our Facebook page. Uh, regarding the September election, says Matthew, people like DA, former DAB chairman and Hong Kong's top patriot, Tam Yu Chung, are leading Hong Kong and the CCP off a cliff by pushing for the election to be postponed out of their own self-interest. Yesterday, Tam Yu Chung had a rare moment of honesty, revealing that he wanted the election postponed because it would not be convenient for supporters living in the mainland to return to vote during the pandemic. I wonder if he will also fly his family back from Australia if it does go ahead. If the government and the pro-CCP supporters were genuine about caring for Hong Kong people and reducing risk, they would focus first on tightening the 34 cross-border exemptions for quarantine as the DOH has already confirmed these are the primary cause of this third wave. They would not jump first to locking us down and opportunistically taking away our right to vote. Uh, the thoughts from Matthew. Thank you very much indeed for that. Thank you to our guest this morning, to uh, Surya Diva, Associate Professor in the City University School of Law, and to Chris Young, a political analyst and chief writer with Citizen News. We're going to be talking about the uh, election, uh, the decision on whether or not to postpone the forthcoming LegCo election after the news at nine. Uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, the weather first. It's going to be mainly fine today, apart from one or two showers. Very hot again. Temperatures up about 34 degrees. The outlook, a few showers tomorrow and then and thunderstorms in the following couple of days. 30 degrees now, humidity is at 72%. The municipal authorities in India's financial capital, Mumbai, show that over half the people living in the city's crowded slums have had the coronavirus. The comparable figures for those who don't live in slums are much lower, but a very large portion of Mumbai's population do live in slums. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Backchat on a Wednesday morning with Anna Fenton and me, Hugh Chiverton. Uh, we were talking in the first part of the programme about uh, Benny Tai and that decision of the University of Hong Kong. We want to talk about uh, another decision that's uh, forthcoming, uh, the uh, decision on whether or not to hold uh, the LegCo elections as scheduled on September the 6th or to postpone uh, the election, and if so, how and uh, for how long. Uh, we're joined now uh, once again by Alan Long, Governor of the Path of uh, Democracy. Uh, Alan, good to have you back. <laughs> so we, good morning. We, we, we didn't get uh, enough value from you yesterday, so we, we thought we'd, uh, we'd get you back. And we also hope to speak to uh, Dixon Singh, Associate Professor in the Division of Social Science at uh, UST uh, later, uh, if we can. Uh, uh, and a reminder, of course, we want to hear from you. Uh, you can call us. We'll put you on air, 233-88266. Uh, you can comment on our Facebook page. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Uh, or you can just uh, drop us an email, 
bankchat.rthk.hk. Uh, on Benny Tai, David says, the argument that the termination of Benny Tai's tenure was a political decision is an oxymoron because it was Benny Tai himself who moved into politics by launching his civil disobedience campaign and just recently publishing his 10-point master plan in Apple Daily, which is a de facto plan to overthrow the SAR government and trigger a crackdown by the central authorities, which would then be followed by international sanctions against China and Hong Kong. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Benny Tai, go to jail. That comes uh, from David. Uh, and Andrew Kay, uh, relating to our earlier guest, I think it, this is uh, Surya Diva, says, uh, uh, even though a professor, he doesn't understand how to answer a simple question. And then he says, Andrew Kay says, your current guest is talking rubbish. Those who can do, those who can't teach. Uh, that's from uh, Andrew Kay. Uh, thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, there's more emails uh, on the topic of the election, but um, we'll get to those maybe a, a little later on. Um, so, um, Alan Long, um, yeah, what do you think? Uh, I mean, it was widely reported that the decision would be made yesterday. Uh, that seems to have been postponed uh, by the administration. It seems like they're going to wait until Friday. That's what the uh, press reports say uh, at the moment anyway. Um, what do you think are the considerations? What do you think is likely to be the uh, outcome? I, I think it was very wise to wait. And they could wait a bit more until very close to the election. I think it's fully justified that uh, they should consider the uh, risk of uh, the pan pandemic. But there are mitigating measures as well, just how to disperse the crowd, just hand out chits for them to uh, come back at certain hours. That solved the problem, increase the capacity. But, you know, he, she's probably facing pressure from, uh, from uh, you know, the, uh, the DAB and so on. And it's, I think it's wise to wait and wait a bit more. I think it's justified to, uh, to postpone it if the pandemic is really ramping, ramp, uh, rampant uh, for 14 days, according to the rules, or ask for, for a, a further extension of 14 days if, if really, really necessary. But there's no need to make a decision now. It's, you know, if, if the reason is health, look at the, uh, the, uh, the uh, you know, actual situation on whether the uh, pandemic has peaked or has it dropped to an, an, an acceptable level. And, and who do you think should make that call? I'm sure it's the chief executive. Mm. What's your gut feeling about what's going to happen? I think, uh, I'm, I'm hoping, and I think she, as an instinct, of, as a civil servant, I think uh, she will stick to the rules and not being pressured by both sides. I think the Morning Post this morning will uh, sort of uh, publish an article, a series of three, on who would benefit from it. So there seems to be uh, sort of wise or strong opposition for changing the rules suddenly. It just adds more uncertainty unnecessary. Hong Kong is in trouble already. Why do it? If, if, uh, we don't know, why, why make this decision? Well, well I, I mean, I, 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 that's a very good article actually, and I did read it the, uh, this morning. Um, but it does suggest that the decision is not actually hers to make. This is going to be made in Beijing. Beijing is not stupid as well. Beijing look at inter international implication. The trouble is in Hong Kong is, is, is as well. Bearing in mind that, that 
the article said <coughs> a government insider, a civil servant, who's more likely to be, think like a civil servant and you know obey from above. But Carrie Lam is a politician now, you know, bearing the responsibility of almost defending the country's honor, and she should be wiser than 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 this. Um, the standard, uh, you know, which is part of the Sing Tao group, the Sing Tao often has quite uh, accurate kind of uh, insight into government decisions and so on. Uh, and they are saying uh, a, a year's postponement is imminent. The elections uh, look set to be postponed for, for 12 months. So, I mean, you know, you can uh, give whatever credence you want to that report. But Sing Tao is owned by Mr. Ho. Yeah. I never came across that Sing Tao is, is, uh, has inside information. Hong Kong Zero One has a bit more, I think. <laughs> so I, I, I don't... I don't Give much credit to uh, Sing Tao's pushing a course of, uh, you know. But I think. I, I know Lam, Charles Ho can be quite idiosyncratic, but often when they say sort of the government is thinking something, then the government really is thinking something. Well, think about it and think some more. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right. We're also joined now uh, by uh, Dixon Singh, Associate Professor in the Division of Social Science at the University of Science and Technology. Good morning to you, and, and thank you for, for, for joining us. Uh, Good morning. Yeah, what, what do you think are there going to be the considerations, and, and uh, is this down to Beijing in the end, or do, this, will this be a decision made by the Chief Executive? What do you think? Well, uh, Yes, that so many major political decisions made by the CE actually have been under the directive of Beijing. So, um, so I wouldn't be surprised uh, that decision about whether the election should be postponed uh, actually again will depend on Beijing's intention. Um, and then, considering whether we should postpone it, uh, I think the may, one of the major hurdles is that unless we have uh, indisputable ground that it has to be to be de delayed. Otherwise, uh, the problem is that how long are we going to maintain the vacuum uh, in terms of our legislature? The government cannot legislate. I mean, uh, the government should not replace the legislature, okay? Uh, that, will, that will turn the whole soccer as a mockery in the inter international stage. So secondly, uh, we, cannot, we cannot have ground to just um, extend the terms of uh, the, the former uh, legislature, because it has already ended. The mandate they received from the voters four years ago uh, did not and, does, and will not okay, allow them to, to be extended uh, without the public mandate. So, um, and then if you look at the basic law, uh, the basic law only spells out very uh, abstract principles like uh, whether there's, uh, there's a riot, open violence, or any danger to public health or safety. Now, um, there has been a lot of evidence saying that if we keep a certain degree of social distancing, if we all wear some masks, and, and then if we uh, adopt some, we can imagine, okay, if we adopt some uh, intelligent measures, like what? Uh, like uh, regulate the number of uh, voters uh, who can only gather together with a certain degree of density, or we can even imagine, what about if we hold hold it for two days instead of one day. So uh, there can be all kind of measures that uh, does not end up, does not lead us into a, a blind area. Uh, postpone it for, for uh, you know, a few months and so on, simply just uh, the cause, the political cause is too big, you know, to, to imagine, both domestically and internationally.
Dixon, let's let's stick with what we know. Play the movie forward. All these old people that get bussed to the polls in minibuses, how on earth are you going to do social distancing among vulnerable elderly on minibuses? This, this is just, you just have to see what's going on around town at the moment. People are not able to go into restaurants, but they're all queuing, touching each other, yelling on their phones, talking to each other. You know, the reality is we're not on top of social distancing. So how would it be any different in an election on poll day? Uh, yeah, this, this will pose a challenge. So as I said, we can imagine how about we uh, prolong the duration of the voting from one day to maybe two days, if not three days, number one. that Number two, I think the government has to mobilize a lot of, uh, of its civil servants, trying to help with the, the needy, including the old people, uh, to vote. Um, we can still imagine there can be all kind of measures that can be adopted, like you know, traditionally, the voting booths, they are just fixated in one room. Can that kind of room be modified in a way to make, to make the old people more convenient to vote? So, uh, you, mean, you mean like having mobile booths, taking them booths to old people's homes or something like that? Uh, not necessarily. I mean, uh, can we mitigate, can we reduce the distance of walking for, for the old people? Sometimes... I can imagine for those mm-hmm. uh, yeah. particularly con- contested, uh, you know, public estates or uh, private estates, it would be too much a hassle for the old people to line them for, uh, you know, for 50 minutes or 20 minutes and so on. So we, we, we can ask a lot. We can consider uh, allowing the old people uh, to vote, uh, you know, either first or at the last hour and so on. And, and then... And then um, we can make sure that they don't need to walk for a, a, a horrible, intimidating distance before they can vote. So those are the measures that are really worthy of our, you know, imagination and, 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 and consideration of, of implementation. OK, our number is 233-88266. We've got a caller on the line now. Mr Singh, I think. Good morning. Yes. Uh, good morning. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, Mr Tan. Hi, Mr Tan. Mr. Dung, I'm sorry. Yeah, carry on. Yeah. Okay. Uh, who leads this pandemic? Okay. We, we see the last year uh, history election. Okay, say, oh, we saw the stock violence. Okay, many petrol bombs, even violence. But what was they complaining the election day? Oh, multiple killing for poll. No any tear gas, no any petrol bombs. So I think who leads this pandemic? Because they worry to lose. The number, the increase now is real, isn't it? The way that it's gone up and suddenly increased into, you know, more than a hundred, that's a that's a real thing. But they, they need this reason. Why why is this reason? Because oh, they think need this pandemic. Okay, it's not oh, uh, confirmed cases one hundred is not enough. Or well, mm. maybe oh, really in August in mid or the late August maybe confirmed cases over 
one thousand a day or even ten thousand a day. Oh, you think oh one hundred is not serious? Oh, because they did over maybe the confirmed cases will be for a hundred thousand in the uh, end of August. Oh, oh, because okay after that okay say oh it's not it's not reason to continue the election in September. So what we should think that why they need to postpone this election? Okay, because in Russia, in Russia. Uh, later, before they had that uh, referendum to oh, a huge country, the referendum mm. to put them to maybe maybe they will be get the power of whole life because Russia is a huge country. It still have COVID nineteen, that still can make the election in the whole country. Why Hong Kong can't? So you think we should go away, go ahead, Mr. Dong, and not delay the election? Maybe not one day. Maybe like maybe we can pull it. Uh, we, well, now it's one day. We can wait three days or even a week. But because we, we need the pandemic, because not one hundred is not so serious. Because Beijing needs this this virus. Because the, you see the, when the U.S. complaining the Xinjiang the P1 virus. Now Xinjiang has many confirmed cases in COVID-19 in a whole whole country. Only Xinjiang. It's the most complicated company because you you see the USA oh my Xinjiang human race is not very good it's very bad okay now Xinjiang has COVID virus okay you see uh, in other other province okay you see or oh, something it's most so serious because Hong Kong compare to Singapore Singapore is over a uh, ten ten thousand COVID nineteen that still can take the election of the council. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting actually that uh, Cheng Yuk Seng uh, 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 did actually cite uh, a study from the International Association for Democracy and Electoral Assistance showing 67 countries or regions had postponed elections because of uh, COVID. Uh, but then the South China Morning Post story uh, says, quotes exactly the same source, pointing out that 49 countries and territories. Uh, including Singapore, yeah, you mentioned South Korea, Japan and Israel have held elections, uh, so you can sort of cite either side. Anyway, Mr. Tang, thank you very much indeed for your for your call. Our number is 233-88266, so very interesting uh, to hear from you. And uh, R uh, says in an email, uh, postponing the elections, there were 108 road deaths last year. Did we see any special extra measures to curb speed or minimise road deaths? Meanwhile, we have 12 deaths from COVID and the loyalists want to postpone the election. COVID is covert cover for election nerves by the LAM uh, government. Uh, uh, that comes uh, from uh, R. Um, Alan Lung, um, the, the, another aspect of the, raised in that, in that South Australian Morning Post article uh, is um, the lessons learnt from the district council elections. It suggests that, the, uh, that Beijing was fairly confident that uh, it would do well in those elections uh, and uh, it did disastrously and it's very worried about uh, its performance in, uh, in, a, in a legislative council election, really quite rattled uh, by um, the support for the, uh, for the pandemocrats. Um, do you see that? And do you think that's a, a really a, the main factor in deciding whether to postpone these elections? I think that's the main factor for those who propose it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, pretending that they, they represent Beijing is rubbish. Beijing, you no, know, I think they would, I, I hope and I, I do think they would let the, the, the local government, the local head of government make those decisions. You think uh, Beijing I, I, would allow that? 
They will. They will. I mean, I mean, I've even heard of a suggestion that because the law only allows for a two-week uh, uh, extension or two-week postponement, that uh, if it was to be a year, as mentioned, as I say, in other news sources and, uh, and so on, it would have to be. It would have to be. It would have to come from the standing committee of the MPC, so there could be no legal challenge. Think, why, why do they think? think why do they think a pandemic wouldn't come back in a year's time? So keep postponing, and we don't have a, a legislature forever and forever. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is crazy logic, and and uh, you know, really, really crazy. Yeah, I mean, Dixon Singh, uh, if there was a, you know, what would be the logic of the postponement? Because would people be more likely to, or less likely to support the government uh, in a year's time? How would things be any different? Or in two weeks' time, or a year's time, or whenever. Well, well, uh, I, I don't think the actual logic behind, but I, I we can imagine that uh, uh, you know some of those who uh, who went who voted against the co-establishment parties, they might look at the actual economic performance. Uh, the, the worse the economic performance the greater the blame they would lay on the government and, and including the Beijing, and then they would vote against the, the pro-establishment party. So I guess one of the perhaps calculations behind is that they hope the economy will will not be as bad as what, what has been at the, at the moment, and then it will be even better than uh, what, what, will be, what has been imagined by many. So maybe that's one of the uh, calculations. Uh, and, and, I, and then I think, secondly... Um, uh, there, you know, we have already seen a lot of, uh, uh, you know, political-oriented uh, uh, suppressions or repressions, including the the few, the two widely reported cases of uh, dismissal of scholars involved in one way or another in the umbrella movement. Uh, not to mention the implementation of the national security law. So maybe Beijing also hopes that uh, the. Pan-Democrats, the supporters of the Pan-Democrats, will be too frustrated to come out and vote. So, but you no, know, all, all these uh, possible calculations may not work ultimately because we have seen again and again that uh, in the last few years, the greater the political suppression, the greater the resistance, and if, even people dare not uh, violate the, the so-called the, the murky and national security law easily. They can still come out and vote, and that has been testified just a couple of weeks ago when uh, about six hundred thousand people came out in the primary election. Yeah, I mean, there's also been speculation that uh, the uh, uh, pro-establishment forces are very concerned about the hundreds of thousands of of uh, voters who are not in Hong Kong at the moment. They're on the mainland. They can't get back to Hong Kong because of uh, restrictions, and that they could tilt the balance, and that uh, uh, that's a consideration. Do you, Dixon Singh, do you think that's yeah, I think that's a that's a, uh, a, a, a their consideration. But whether that kind of consideration is large enough, I mean, and whether it can sway the outcome, it, 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 there's really no evidence to support it. Uh, we don't have any concrete data as to how many of those people usually they would return to Hong Kong to vote, and the percentage of them supporting the pro government parties. We don't have that kind of data, so. Mm. Um, uh, so it is not a legitimate reason to, to suspend the, the voting because of that. Uh, I don't know. Just t- 
tell me, why, why is there this assumption that the government is going to do badly when you had that petition uh, in support of the national security legislation getting 2.9 million signatures? That's more than people who voted, and significantly more than people who voted in the last election at all. Uh, that Surely that would be a landslide for the, uh, for the government and the pro-establishment. Well, you know the answer. Who who signed those things, and how many times did they sign? And to come to talk about people returning from some Shenzhen or wherever mainland to vote. I mean, I believe the election law says if you're not normal residents in this particular address, and you re you're registered in the, in the address you're not living in, that's against the law already. So why do you think that that there will be thousands and thousands of of, you know, almost illegal coaches coming back and that would sway the votes. And if they should be reported that they're not normal residents in Hong Kong. You know, that's, <laughs> this is crazy logic again. All right. Uh, TC on Facebook says, one has to question the logic of the government on this one. Would postponing the election for up to 12 months really turn the tide in the pro-establishment's favour? Would also mitigate foreign sanctions, if any? Also, if the government is serious about public health and fairness of the election, it, had considered, it would have considered alternative forms of voting earlier, such as voting by post or advanced polling. In a real-world example, I cast my vote in the 2015 Canadian election by post as I was in Hong Kong on uh, election day. That's uh, from uh, TC, who's, uh, who's based on in uh, Canada. Uh, Barbara, though, on Facebook says the election should be postponed, in my opinion. Uh, I won't go to uh, vote under uh, a pandemic. Um, Matthew says, I'm more concerned about the governance of Hong Kong than I am about the virus and definitely would go out to vote. Uh, there are many precautions which can be taken to reduce risk during voting and other alternatives which should be considered before simply cancelling the election because it happens to suit the self-interest of the Hong Kong government, pro-authoritarian politicians and the CCP. If the government and pro-CCP supporters were genuine about caring for Hong Kong people and reducing risk, they would focus first on reducing the 34 cross-border exemptions for quarantine, as the DOH has already confirmed these are the primary cause of the third wave. Uh, and uh, Andrew Pang, just on the earlier discussion on the dismissal of Benny Tai, says, finally, long overdue to allow him to continue teaching is not dissimilar to some extreme clerics breeding future terrorists and we're on the topic uh, Martin says Benny Tai's case awaits legal appeal and therefore any commentary for or against the facts and his legal stance are subject to the law relating to contempt of court as I understand it seems to me the Hong Kong U Council acted prematurely in dismissing uh, Professor Tai before the outcome of his appeal the council and liaison office are apparently on the face of it violating the law of contempt of court as are many commentators many like to talk about the rule of law in Hong Kong so let the law be applied in Benny Tai's appeal before conclusions are drawn uh, that for, from uh, Martin um, once again back chat at rthk.hk uh, if you want to join in Dixon Singh what do you think is likely um, what, what, what do you think is probably going to happen on Friday uh, on Friday you mean on the, on the coming Friday yeah when they make the decision yeah okay okay um, I think the chance for it to be postponed is slightly more than half because uh, we have already seen that uh, uh, the most extreme unimaginable measures have been uh, imposed upon Hong Kong in the last two months, including but not confined to the national security law. I mean, look at the dismissals the, the of the two professors who have the entire process have dismissal, flagrantly violated the procedural justice. 
so uh, so I would I wouldn't be surprised under uh, the current uh, you know I would say outer lattice pop uh, uh, atmosphere uh, uh, the, the 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 postponement uh, decision may may really happen and that would damage further uh, how the international community look at Hong Kong they would think. I mean, from the democratic societies outside Hong Kong, they would think Hong Kong's uh, elections have, again, uh, will again be rigged uh, in, in favor of Beijing, uh, and there's no credibility at all uh, on the part of the Hong Kong SL government. So the, the U.S. government and so on, they will be given even greater room to impose sanctions against not only Hong Kong economically, but also against the... The, the senior civil servants, the the public officials. But, but we and, should. But you could argue, and, shouldn't we? Shouldn't okay. be, we? Should, we shouldn't be putting Hong Kong citizens at risk to keep um, Washington happy. No, we shouldn't. So, as I said, we do need to um, we do need to consider taking some uh, measures to mitigate the risk of of, of infection, uh, like the, the, those I mentioned. You know, extend. You know, instead of postponement for a long time, extending the duration of voting, that's one measure. And uh, mobilizing more volunteers and civil servants. And at the most extreme cases, okay, if the, the, the rate of, uh, you know, the new people contracting the virus continue, uh, continue to rise or continue to remain at the current high level, we may postpone it for two weeks or three weeks. I mean, when it, when it, when it, when it, when it declines, and we have to hold it. So that's that's the most. I think that's the greatest um, uh, concession that I can imagine. But then a kind of a, a prolonged post postponement, extending it. I mean, a postponement for half a year, half a year, and so on and so forth. That that simply does not have the ground. Okay, well, Dixon Singh, thanks for joining us, Associate Professor at the University of Science and Technology, Division of Social Sciences. Uh, Alan Lung, Governor of the Path of Democracy, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us once again. Anna, uh, many thanks to you. That's it for the programme today. Back at 8.30 tomorrow, as ever. The weather, mainly fine, uh, apart from one or two showers. Very hot again, a maximum temperature of about 34 degrees, and there's a very hot weather warning uh, in force now. A little bit warmer in the New Territories. And then showers will uh, increase with thunderstorms in the following couple of days. And it will also be windier, which will make a change. 31 degrees now. Relative humidity is at 69%. Our hands often touch public items covered with viruses and bacteria. When we touch our eyes, nose or mouth, the pathogens can enter the body. Health is in our hands. To prevent infection, follow the seven hand cleaning steps. Rub hands for 20 seconds. Rinse thoroughly. Dry with a clean cloth or paper towel. If you can't wash your hands and they aren't visibly soiled, use an alcohol-based hand rub. What if our hands get dirty again? Clean them properly. 931, the news now with Samantha Butler. The president of the Public Doctors Association says although Hong Kong is recording over 100 new coronavirus cases a day, the situation is still better than she expected. Arasina Ma says the government needs to prepare more isolation beds, given the number of confirmed cases at home waiting to be admitted to hospitals. But she says Hong Kong doesn't need any extra manpower from the mainland, as has been suggested.
The Democratic Party presidential contender Joe Biden has promised to spend tens of billions of dollars to help people of colour overcome economic inequality if he wins the election in November. In a speech in his hometown of Wilmington, Mr Biden promised to boost opportunities for black, Latino and Native American businesses. And President Trump has hailed a deal with the technology company Kodak as an important step towards achieving pharmaceutical independence for the United States. His administration has approved a $765 million loan to Kodak to produce chemical components for essential drugs, a new field for a company best known for camera and films. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. Stand by for the brew. Uh, sociology prof from the university. Set and costume designer interpreter of Beethoven. To our oh-so-shy, quiet and retiring doggy council co-founder of Rockefeller Records. Hello. This is really for adults, it's not really for kids. Good morning. Yeah, well, it's fun. Hello. Decipher what's happening behind the myth. Good morning. Interviews and also observations. Absolutely no way. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you and welcome to Wednesday. It is The Morning Brew, yep, with me, Phil Whelan. Slightly movable feast today, but here's what I know is going to happen. Going to catch up with Janice Jensen from Nevis Animal Speak in a few minutes and talk about separation anxiety and issues. Well, she's living this herself right now, being stranded in Texas, and her zoo is back in Nevis. Obviously missing her. After 10, we're going to be joined by Tim Huxley, who is the CEO of a shipping company called Mandarin. We've been hearing a lot about huge cargo ships being stranded off the coast of Lama this week, and the crews are somewhat in limbo, pay, well-being, a whole list of things. But why? And what's going to happen to these people? Well, ship owner Tim will explain. Philippe Dovar from RTL France is in France today, so apparently can't be with us. He'll be back next week. Also, Chris Watts is busy today, and he definitely will be with us tomorrow. Hopefully at the end of today's programme, I'm going to find out a new and rather in-depth survey on the life, well-being, earnings, etc., etc., of Hong Kong's fabulous freelance musicians. Why is it being compiled? What's going to be done with it? Well, we'll find out a little bit later on. Right now, it's 26 minutes to 10.